0: Hello, and welcome to another podcast of Redemption Tempe, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. We are continuing this week uh, in our series on Jonah. Last week, if you were with us, we started in Jonah 1, uh, and our theme last week was on rebellion. So in Jonah 1, God tells him to go to the Ninevites, and Jonah, through his words and actions, says, no way. Uh, he God calls him up, and Jonah goes down, down, down. And we see at the end of Jonah 1 that he is in the belly of a fish, or a whale, Uh, And so this week we continue where we find Jonah in the belly of this whale and he finally submits to God's will and he finally agrees, okay, I'll go. And so as we continue in our Jonah podcast series, uh, we're going to continue to hear more stories, but this week's theme is submission. And again, all three of these stories that we're going to hear from today, uh, God is the main character and God is the one who has called um, these families to submit to these calls that he's put on their lives. And they have they have done so. And all three of them would agree that um, that while there are ups and downs, God has been present, God has been faithful. So I'm excited to share these with you all this week. Uh, Let's start with the first story now.
1: My name's Jessica. Um, My husband's name is Darren, and we have two little girls, uh, ages two and almost five. We worked and lived in East Asia for four years as missionaries. Um, You know, it's kind of a crazy story how we started. We we actually um, started with Redemption before it was Redemption. We joined when it was Praxis, and. We were really attracted to the church because of the biblical teaching, of course, but also because of the small group and the community focus. And that's really where God started growing our faith and growing us.
2: So uh, to talk about the call to missions and how it really just kind of submitted to that, I have to go back to when I was in college in Montana. When I was in college in Montana, um, I came... the Lord there, or I was born again. It's probably a better way of saying that. I was born again. And um, and this happened because of the people around me. I had good people around me who believed in Jesus, and they were a huge influence on my life. Um, And I I took that experience, and I take that experience with me now. So when I left Montana to go to graduate school at ASU, um, I took that experience with me. And as I... Started working at ASU with all of these international students, most of them my peers, these people I got to know and became good friends with. From China and Bangladesh and India and DR Congo, uh, very few of them were actually from America, and um, it gave me a different outlook on you know the international community. Um, but it also opened my heart to the fact that as I started working with these people and getting to know them and you know having meals and lunches with them, I realized that mo- none of them actually knew Jesus, um, and it made me realize that uh, their college experience was obviously very different than my own. Um, and so that that didn't really make me go into missions yet. It just made me aware of this. And, and so I started looking at the numbers of Christians in these different countries and realized that they, the, the Christians are just vastly outnumbered in these countries. I mean, vastly outnumbered by uh, non-believers. These people don't have people around them who believe in Jesus. And it was really touched my heart. So... As I graduated with my PhD and started a postdoc and was traveling around the world of Sweden and Germany to do research, um, it just kept opening my eyes up to this this reality. Um, and at the same time, I was doing Surge and my wife got pregnant. <laughs> a lot of things were going on. Um, Surge is a great program that Redemption does it just or partners with that... Uh, re- Teaches you know a lot of great things. What I really got out was the relationship between work and and faith. And I started looking at my work and going, how does this interact with my faith? And I. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with my work. I think research is a great thing. But I wanted to have something that could really, really be a direct relationship to my faith. And I, I felt this very a deep discontent that I remember talking to Jess about a lot. So I got so discontent <laughs> um, at one point in time. I remember just saying, yeah, it's kind of a good discontent. It's like, I really want to do something with my my, my life that will honor God. I called Tim Anderson up one day. <laughs> And I was like, Tim, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. You know, for years I've been happily doing research. And suddenly I'm just like, "I I I want something different. I don't know why. I couldn't figure it out. And Tim told me about a time in his life when he had the same kind of experiences, really. And I remember Tim saying he reached his hands up in the air. And literally, like, while he's holding his hands up there, he said to God, like, I will do anything, I will go anywhere, or, and I will be anything you want me to be. And so after Tim left, I really thought about that. And I remember walking through the neighborhood one day um, and doing the same thing. And so a couple of weeks later, Jim is making an announcement before church, and he's saying, hey, I want to, uh, um, this organization, <laughs> which I'm not going to name, <laughs> This organization is uh, looking for more missionaries overseas and you know, get in contact with me, and I'll get in contact with you, and from then the ball just rolled.
1: Yeah, so um, Darren actually mentioned um, that during this time I was pregnant. Uh, I was also working a good job. I, I graduated with a Bachelor's in Fine Arts in 2008, and everybody knows you don't really have a lot of options with a fine arts degree and you really didn't have a lot of options in 2008. So I, like, I worked quite a few call centers and I finally had gotten a job where I was a, I was a contractor for the state, I was helping disabled people find jobs. It was fulfilling work, it, was, um, it paid well. <laughs> so that was great and, and I felt like I had gotten to that point. But at the same time, like, as I worked with these people um, a lot of my cases were mentally disabled people, and they really lacked hope. And so um, my primary focus was, of course, trying to help them find a job because that was what I was supposed to do. But I also really sought ways where I could inject Jesus in the conversation. The, the doors didn't always open, but if I, if I found even the tiniest opening, I was, I was trying to just, just put a little Jesus in there every once in a while. But so my heart was really for these people But the doors weren't always open. But at the same time, um, Darren, after that announcement in church, looked at me. I'm like seven months pregnant. And he goes, do you want to go there? And I said, well, maybe. I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) It was crazy. Um, So when I did that, um, Darren started walking through the doors and we started going through the steps in the process. Um, And I remember it was also during Lent. And so we were doing the 40 days of prayer and I had signed up to pray at some crazy random hour. So I was sitting there on my couch um, praying at like 4 a.m. and I was thinking about, you know, all the things that I would have to give up if I went overseas and like this job and, you know, I had cats and I was worried about my pets. And I mean, you know, we, we had a nice little apartment with a couple little things in it. And I was kind of like, you know, kind of don't want to give all of this up. And, and you know, God really said to me, do you love me more than these things? And I had to say, yes. I had to say, yes, God, I love you more than these things. So I kind of at that point said, all right, as long as you keep the door open, I'm gonna walk through it. But I went through that and I went through that and and I still didn't feel like really sure. And I kept asking God, are you sure? Are you sure God? <laughs> do you really want us to do this? <laughs> and he said to me finally, he said, you know, I told Darren what you need to know and he's your husband and you need to trust him. And so I did, um, that wasn't easy. Uh, I'm not great at the whole submitting to your husband thing. <laughs> Um, But he really wanted me to work on that and to really trust Darren as our leader and our spiritual leader and also in this venture, the leader as really when we work in the missions team, he's our our team lead. And so there was that part of that. And then there was also the baby, (laughs) this little tiny baby. We had waited four years to have a kid And it's finally happening, and we're going to go overseas with a brand new baby. And I'm like, God, you're crazy. (laughs) So I finally said to God, I was like, you know what? This baby, you gave her to me, and I'm going to give her back to you. And I'm going to trust you to keep her safe. And if anything happens to her, it is on you. (laughs) And you know He's taking care of her, and he's taking care of us, no matter what.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, God has provided for us in so many ways. Like when we were trying to get overseas, um, initially, he he just put so many people in our path, like Jim Mullins, who'd been in Turkey for years, the Rents who'd been in Japan, Gonzalez who who were you know, grew up in in missions and a lot of these people I didn't know beforehand or knew very little bit. Gonzalez has been my friends for many years, but it was just uh, good to see people and like random people I find like going to a restaurant and found out their their children are in. Missions in different countries. And I'm thinking, wow, like I didn't know any missionaries before the pandemic. When I called the organization up, seriously, I honestly thought, like, my first question was, do you take families? Like, my wife's like nine months, eight months pregnant or something. And and do you take families? And they're like, yeah, we have lots of families. Because my opinion of missions before we went was, before I called them, was like, some dude in combat boots in a jungle. Seriously, that's what I was saying. So I was like, is this what you're going to do, God? But it it just worked out. So, um, yeah, he put a lot of people in our path who were just amazing. So when we went overseas, uh, we were on this team. And, of,
1: and yeah, it was a great team. I, You know, God hadn't, he couldn't have planned it any better. We were on this team with these beautiful families who had had children in that country, who'd raised children in that country. And really they just took us right alongside them and they they showed us how to live life there how to be a family and and really they taught us how to witness and evangelize in this culture and and really how to be as a, a family doing it and it really it made life so sustainable and so so wonderful I couldn't I can't think of living life any other way now like a, yeah. You yeah, I just can't, I can't even think about it.
2: Yeah, they'd been on the field for, what, 15 years and 16 years. So it was just really good to be like people who knew what they were doing and could kind of walk beside us. And God just provided that for us because we were brand new parents in, in, in East Asia. And it was just, yeah, <laughs> it was an interesting, but the, he, God provided the people exactly when we needed them. So, and he provided the people for us to, to witness to. I, I remember... One guy, uh, I'm going to tell this story really quick because it just shows that like missionaries don't go to the place that they go to bring Jesus there. Jesus is already there. He's already working. And um, so when we, we, we arrived in this this city, we had this student. I was doing the, I started working and doing this Bible study and I, I heard about this student who just, he was completely opposed to the gospel. He never wanted to hear about it. Um, for years, some of my students are telling me, he just, he doesn't care. Um, and suddenly one day I, I, he shows up in one of my Bible studies. <laughs> exactly. He shows up in one of my Bible studies and like, what, 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 okay, all right, welcome. <laughs> uh, And, uh, you know, he keeps meeting with us for several weeks. A month goes by, two months goes by. He's still showing up. And one day I I was doing a topical study on the Holy Spirit and faith and how Holy Spirit and faith incorporate together. And I was talking about, you know, how our faith, you know and i got to the lesson on romans 10 where it says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that jesus is lord you will be saved he he turned turned around to me and he said is it that easy is that all you have to do so after that bible study is over i talked to him for hours on my couch about like what faith is and who god is and he he came to christ and it was just as um, and we kept teaching we kept coming bible studies you know we kept having him over dinner and just got to know him and Yeah, I still talk to him now, even. So uh, it was really good to just see that God puts people in place even before we're going, right? Like, while we're trying to figure out if we want to go missions years earlier, God's already working on this guy's heart. Um, So we don't bring Jesus. He's already there. We just get to be a part of it. And yeah, the last thing God provided is funds. Like we, um, we, you know, we're missionaries. We need funds to go where we go. And he provided abundantly for our funds over those years. Four years, we, we had funds to, to serve God overseas. And it was, yeah, thank God for that, seriously. Um, so if you <laughs> are interested in finding out more about our ministry and how you can partner with us, um, please email me at Benson.Darren at gmail.com. That's B-E-N-S-O-N dot D-A-R-Y-N at gmail.com.
3: Bruce and Kim Thompson, we met in uh, college at Azusa Pacific. We've been married 26 years. We have uh, four four bio children and have adopted three We've been at Redemption for five years.
4: So, um, just to give you guys a little bit about our story, um, like Bruce said, we have four biological kids. Um, when our when we were in college, before we were married, we talked about adoption because Bruce has a sister that's adopted a bunch of kids from all over the world, and we that was just something that was we felt like we wanted to do um, if and when we got married. Um, so we got married, and we had started having kids and just getting into life and. Um, when our youngest of our four was about probably five around there, we decided to um, venture into foster care and went through all of that and had a sibling set for a while, for a few months. Um, Just was not a great situation for a lot of reasons. And um, after that, after they left, um, we decided that maybe we wanted to go the route of doing a newborn adoption, some friends of ours were doing that, and we thought, that looks kind of interesting. So we now, by now, our youngest is almost seven, or probably six at that point, and we felt like, you know what, we're um, 40 at that point. I think we were 40 years old, and we thought, if we're gonna do this, this is the time, and um, we just felt like we couldn't not do it, um, even though it seemed crazy, and I'm sure all of our friends on the outside thought we were crazy.
3: And why would you do that when life is comfortable? Uh, we've been attending a very large church for 18 years. Uh, business was really going strongly for me. Uh, life was good kids were starting to drive and uh, taking care of themselves. Why would you jump in with newborns and uh, diapers at 40? Um, and it was uh, it was a tough. Situation.
4: Um, yeah, so we we got, it took us a little while to get matched. Um, I won't go into all the details, but um, just because we have other kids, I think. Um, and when we were matched, our, our first adoption was with um, a, a gal who, it, it became apparent to us that she had special needs um, that we weren't aware of. So um, she came out here and we were able to love on her and um, just be a part of her life at the end of her pregnancy. So that was a unique situation. Um, She was not a typical birth mother by any means, but um, we felt like God gave her to us for (laughs) a reason. And uh, we fell in love with her, and she fell in love with our family. And um, anyway, then Trey was born. He was our first um, adopted. And um, to jump ahead a little bit about, when he was about two or three, or probably around two, we noticed that he was not typical um, in a lot of ways and um, when he was three we finally took him in to get him diagnosed because it was clear that there was something he had been doing great but up and up until that point and then it was clear that he was kind of going backwards and um, he was diagnosed with autism at three so um, then we had not only a, um, a child of a different race um, that looked different from us but he then also was looking different you know from a just a day-to-day basis on how he behaved. So that was a new twist as far as we weren't expecting that, of course. We thought we, the, our biggest challenge was going to be having a black child. And then now he has autism, too. So um, we just kind of <laughs> dealt with that. Um, a couple years after that, we felt like Trey needed a sibling um, because we, he was looking so different from our family. We wanted him to have somebody that that looked um, more like him. So we went back into the adoption um, realm and ended up with a sibling set. We weren't expecting two. We were going in for one. And we really wanted a girl and ended up being a one-year-old boy and maybe his baby sister. And um, anyway, we ended up adopting both of them. So now we had um, three, under three. One of them was special needs. that We had just found out, I think right before they, soon before they came home, we found out Trey was autistic. So now we're dealing with an autistic kid and a six-week-old and a 14-month-old that had attachment issues and a autistic kid, newly diagnosed. Um, So needless to say, the next couple years were not typical by any means and very, very stressful. And um, I don't know how we got through it, but. (laughs) By God's grace, Yes, we did. So
2: I
3: I think God has shown up in, in multiple ways and continues to, and I think through adoption always will. We talked a little bit about being called to adopt. But I think the Bible's pretty clear that religion, true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. And uh, I think when you read that, it should hit home to you. And whether you're called or not, I think we're all called in some form or fashion to uh, jump into this messy thing of adoption. And with adoption, it is as ugly as God calling you um, to himself.
4: Um, Yeah, so I think um, looking back, one of the, what Bruce is alluding to is um, just the whole attachment um, part of of adoption that we could sit here and talk for hours about. But um, looking back, um, especially with a toddler adoption, um, one of ours was a toddler, it's not the attachment process is a lot more difficult than with a newborn. You've missed a lot of those years of bonding and holding and being skin to skin and all that. And um, we we struggled at the beginning, and not just at the beginning, probably for a couple years. it was hard and, and it took us a few months to actually share it with each other. We both were struggling and, and didn't know it. I thought Bruce was fine, he thought I was fine. And one day we're like, oh my gosh, you're struggling too, me too. And then we kind of started you know, having this conversation and working through it. And looking back, um, I think it was about at the two year mark maybe that we were like finally feeling like he was ours. And um, he was part of our family, not like we were babysitting somebody else's kid. That sounds really bad, but that was just for us. That was, and, I, and I've talked to other families, it's typical with, with the older child adoption. Um, but but I think we can relate it to how, how God adopts us. I think that's probably the biggest thing we've learned through that piece of the adoption puzzle, um, which has been huge for us. And we talk about it all the time. And then just the redemption. Redemptive part of adoption and how um, it's not about us and it's not about I, I get people are like oh you're so amazing and you've rescued these kids and we're like no really I mean yeah we sure maybe but the reality is it's done way more for us and and um, just the redemptive work and the hard daily part of it is um, it's grown us in ways that we know for a fact we could, never would have gone with there without going through this process.
5: Hi, everyone. My name is Eric Ludwig, and I'm excited to talk about submission today. My wife Amy and I have been attending Redemption Tempe coming up on three years. We've been married for 25 years this summer. We have a daughter graduating from ASU this week and a son who's working full-time after attending trade school here in the Valley. So we're enjoying this empty nester phase. And before I talk about the call and submitting to that, let me give you a picture of what life was like before then. I grew up in Pennsylvania. And until a few years ago, I would say I've had a very linear life, really along a pretty well-defined line. I had a great family, lived with mom and dad in the same place, grew up in a church, went to youth group, went to college, met my wife in college, got married, got our first house, had a couple kids, got a bigger house in the suburbs. I was working in corporate America for 22 years, for 16 of that was with J.P. Morgan. I managed the global data core network, had employees, budgets, very successful. I was driving a convertible Mustang and uh, loving life. I was also very involved in the church. Christ has always been uh, important to me, trusted him as a kid, and and uh, involved in the church as an elder and, and really enjoying life, and so very fulfilled. Then about four or five years ago, I noticed some stirrings in my heart. A couple things happened to really cause me to reevaluate this line that I was living on. Um, and my 15-year work anniversary at J.P. Morgan, I got this glass pyramid that uh, was engraved and, you know, congratulations on 15 years. And I looked down at that and I thought, that's, that's really nice, but do I really want the 20-year? Do I really want the 25-year? Like... Do I really want to stay on this line forever? Um, and then, as we were doing some college visits with our kids, uh, we realized like we have money saved for college, we have a reasonable mortgage with an end in sight. Like there's a chance to really switch this up. We'll be empty nesters in our mid 40s. What is it that we want to do? So we moved from a stirring phase to an exploring one, and uh, we were asking ourselves where where has God shown up? Where have we you know seen things we've been able to enjoy? And one of the we did is we've always loved and, and cared for missionaries. And I spent about 20 years on our church's missions committee, and we would often get to visit missionaries in the field. Uh, and so I'd arrange a business trip or a family vacation around seeing a missionary. And as I was talking to some folks about this, they said, well, that's that's member care. That's the professional care and development of missionaries. Like, that's a thing. You can go do that. I'm like, that's a thing? Like, all right, so let me check this out. One way I like to explain it is from a book I read called tender care and they give the analogy of a commercial deep sea diver and when the diver's in the water and I say water because I'm from Philly. But when the divers in the water and the murky looking around, they're they're attached to a tender or a person that remains on the ship or on land that's monitoring their, their airflow, communicating with them on the radio, a slack line, different things. And so each diver has a tender that can help uh, you know care for them as they carry out their mission under the water. And so we really see that that analogy to missionaries and that the missionaries that get sent really need people back in a safe place to pour into them, care for them so that they can thrive. And so we went to different workshops and seminars and read more books and and really kind of explore this field of of member care. And one book that was really helpful as well was called Halftime by Bob Buford. And the subtitle is From Success to Significance. And it really resonated with me because I certainly had a measure of success and I wanted to move into something that was or I felt the Lord moving me into something that was more significant. But but hear me, I'm not I'm not trying to make a uh, a distinction between secular and sacred work. As I say I've moved into full-time ministry, that's not to say one's better than the other. I, I was a full-time minister at JP Morgan for all those years. I prayed every day that I would represent Eric and Jesus. So, and especially because Jim Mullins might be listening, I really did believe believe in that symphony of mission, having that spoken word, stewardship, and service. So with that in mind, here, here's the vision that the Lord really started to birth in us, or this calling to submit to what he had next. And it really comes out of Genesis 12, 1 and 2, this, this notion of being uh, blessed to be a blessing. So the vision that the Lord birthed in us was to bless the nations by ministering to frontline missionaries in a way that leaves them undeniably encouraged. And so with that vision, with that calling from the Lord, all my questions about what if, what if, what if, really became the question, how can I not? How can I not move forward in this? But that came at a cost. And so we needed to sell our very nice home in the suburbs, sold my car, left this great job with a great salary and bonus structure. We had to raise support, move across country, say goodbye to our home church, our family and friends and neighbors. and we did. And we did that. We, we left, left JP Morgan, took about a 60% hit in income, but we went into this place of, of joy and fulfillment in that we also took about a 60% hit in expenses. And so the Lord continued to really provide. And, and uh, you know, so yes, it's a story of submission, but into an amazing place and one of joy. And so now I'm privileged to do what I get to do. I work for Frontiers, which is uh, based here in Tennessee and we have 600 missionaries uh, sent out into the Muslim world. Our our motto is, with love and respect, inviting all Muslim peoples to follow Jesus. And each one of these missionaries gets assigned a pastoral coach, like myself, that gets to really pour in and and, uh, care for them. So I'm I'm a professionally certified coach. I have some training in biblical counseling and debriefing, and I'm able to use these skills that the Lord's given me to bless and, and pour into these frontline workers. I get to meet them on video calls or get to travel and see them on the ground. And what a privilege to get this front row ticket to what the Lord is doing in the Muslim world, seeing him draw these people uh, to to himself and into the kingdom. So yes, I did submit, but it was into something amazing. And I I love what I'm able to do at work. I love the new community that I've had over the past few years here at Redemption. And uh, it's been a real privilege to move into what the Lord has called us to do. Yes, we meet people in some hard places, there are some hard days, but at the end of the day, it's a super joy to be able to be doing and thriving in what the Lord has for us. Just one more quick story. Um, when we, when our kids were little, we took a missions trip to Guatemala, and we sat our kids down. And we we said, "Look, this is a this is for Jesus. This is going to be hard work. This isn't fun like our other family vacations." <laughs> like we wanted to set their expectations, and and at the end of that week down there, our daughter came up very sheepishly, and she said, um, "Yeah, Dad, like when when does the hard part come, like?" is it okay that I've had fun all week? And so, so I was completely humbled by that, but it really just goes to show that, you know, following in the Lord's direction, submitting to his call, again, it doesn't mean drudgery, it can often mean joy and amazement and fulfillment. And uh, the last line I'll give is, I've read from Andy Stanley, is what God originates, God orchestrates. And we found that to be really true and thankful that he called us on this journey. And if you are interested in this journey that we're on or want some more information, uh, you can reach me at Coach with Eric, E R I C, Coach with Eric at gmail.com.
0: All right. Well, man, once again, those stories were absolutely fantastic. Um, there's not much better than hearing stories about how God works in the lives of his people. And it's, it's always so encouraging to see God's love and grace show up in people's lives in very tangible ways. So to the Bensons, the Thompsons, and to Eric, thank you guys so much for sharing your stories with us this week. We will be back next week, continuing in our Jonah series. I'm excited. We're gonna hear a couple stories based around the theme of salvation. So uh, that will be really great. I hope that you join us. And thank you once again for listening.
5: Thank you for listening to the Redemption Tempe podcast where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Our vision is to create disciples who seek reconciliation and restoration of Tempe. We are a multi-congregation church and our service times at our Tempe location are 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 6 p.m. To learn more about us or to get plugged into the life of the church by tapping the connect button on our app. We would love to hear any feedback or questions you have. Please send them to Tempe Podcast at RedemptionAZ.com. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week you